In episode three of Design EDU today, Laura Hogan, Senior Engineering Manager of Performance at Etsy, joins Gary Rosance to discuss performance for interactive designers, from how to take better photos to better understanding file formats. The conversation also goes into details on how design education can include performance training in the classroom and what she wishes beginning graphic designers had more experience with. The conversation wraps up with Laura describing the problem-solving skills she looks for when hiring at Etsy and her method for doing it. Hello, and welcome to Design EDU Today the podcast series discussing what is necessary to be a successful designer in a contemporary screen-based interactive world. I am your host, Gary Rosance, Assistant Professor of Graphic Design at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Today's guest, Lara Callender Hogan, is the Senior Engineering Manager of Performance at Etsy and the author of Designing for Performance, her attempt to empower designers to make smart decisions that positively impact page load time. She champions performance as a part of the overall user experience, striking a balance between aesthetics and speed and building performance into company culture. In addition to a lot of public speaking about mobile web and performance, she's had a myriad of jobs, including running her own photography business, co-founding an LGBT wedding website, and a stint where she got certified to be an EMT. Lara graduated college with degrees in philosophy and visual media, which she quips are just weird enough to equip someone to work in tech. She also believes it's important to celebrate career achievements with donuts. Welcome, Lara. Hi, how's it going, Gary? Um, I'm doing well, doing well. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to do this. Truly my pleasure. Uh, oh, thank you. So the, the first thing that I, I want to talk to you about is the biggest mistake that I see in sites created by my students and other students is the size or optimization of images. Mm -hmm. I see sites with tons of images that take forever to download, making the site nearly unusable. <laughs> yep. So what type of mistakes uh, performance or otherwise, do you see in your entry-level designers at Etsy or other places you've worked? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there um, regarding images and the size of them. I also see uh, some really complex graphics, so things like CSS animations or, you know, tons of really complicated graphics that make the, the scrolling janky is the professional technical term <laughs> for that. Um, and then often like a, a lot of blends or overlays or things like that that can also affect site scroll. But yeah, images is really the biggest one. So um, so to, as an educator, I, how is there a way for designers to uh, determine or approximate performance while still in the visual mock-up stages? Like for example, if I make students complete a checklist of file size and site assets, and number of HTTP requests while still in the visual design stage, would that be a good start? Are there other strategies that I can incorporate? That is such a wonderful idea. So I, um, when I give talks and, and uh, 
when I talk with designers about images in particular, I like to walk through the different kinds of formats and what they should be used for. Um, and then there's, because you can kind of get a sense of, of their image compression algorithms, and I'll get into that in a second, mm -hmm. you can start to figure out how to optimize those for speed in just Photoshop. So you don't even have to export it in order to start to see savings. Um, so for instance, JPEGs are based on, uh, are loosely based on how humans perceive things. So they're really good at uh, areas of low contrast, smooth gradient, stuff like that. They're good at discarding information in those areas. So if you know, you know what an image is good for or what an image format is good for, you can start to kind of figure out in the design stage um, how to optimize that. So for a PNG, for example, a PNG 8, you've got 256 uh, colors in your color palette. And PNG 8s are really good at compressing um, horizontal and vertical patterns. So the less noise you have and the more patterns you have horizontally and vertically, the smaller your image is going to be. So I would recommend design educators do a little bit of research on the different kinds of image formats and how their compression algorithms work, which sounds really technical, but actually it's pretty understandable and accessible. Um, and that way you can start to say, okay, I can pick the right image format for this thing that I'm looking at. And then when I get to the save for web dialogue in Photoshop, that's when you can start to see how big the file size is and start to play with things like the number of uh, colors in your color palette, the amount of dithering if you're at a GIF or, or a PNG, and the quality for a JPEG. Um, so what about, so what about um, SVGs and, and all the other types of images? I mean, do you have a recommendation like, you know, we should be looking more towards that? and and kind because of, I can encourage a student and say, well, you should be using this. And they're, you know, this is the first time they've ever been experienced to this. And they're going to almost take it as gospel before they actually <laughs> start to like, you know, you know, discover on their own. So right, like, right. Like knowing that, should I be leveraging like something is a little bit better than the other? Yeah, or? sure. That's a really good question. So I think that, um, in the case of something like SVG or maybe even like CSS3 graphics, um, it's just another tool in the toolbox. Uh, yeah. I have seen many designers say, oh, SVG or you know, CSS3 gradients, they're the new thing. I'm going to use it for everything. And that's not also the best approach for performance. There's never going to be a one-size-fits-all for anything. It's all yeah. going to be, you know, how complex is this image? How many colors does it use? What are the rounded edges like? You know, it's stuff like that. Um, so SVGs are really powerful when you've got a very simple image, you know, something with uh, minimal colors, when you can draw it with a, with a small number of paths, when it won't bloat your HTML file. Um, obviously, SVGs are incredibly powerful, but just like the other image formats, you got to know when to hold them. <laughs> yeah, I I saw a almost one megabyte SVG once that oh, I just yeah. kind of cried. I, I I was just actually speechless. It was it was speechless. Yeah. I didn't know what to to say because I was really excited that they listened and, and took my advice and tried an SVG, but that they didn't go through the, to see if that was the most effective <laughs> Right, right. And, and that's, that's why I like your idea of having, um, I think you mentioned a kind of effectively a budget, right? So yeah. you can start to see what your file sizes are going to be as you're in the visual design stage. And if you give yourself a cap, you can kind of have like this cap and trade. So let's say I want to add uh, more fonts to, um, you know, make it more beautiful than just system fonts. Well, that's going to add some some page weights. Let's see where I can save it within images. You know, maybe I can make my images smaller. Maybe I can uh, remove transparency. You know, maybe I can do all these ever. You have like tons of levers when it comes to your images. And it's really all about what's right for the, for any given visual design. Yeah, and so that's what I'm trying to, I because a lot of places, a lot of schools, um, 
you know, they may not teach HTML right away. They may yeah. like, you know, back end that. That's something that they don't learn to junior, senior year. Some places do it in the beginning. Some places don't do it at all. And I'm just trying to think, how can I do this without, you know, in the just the visual stage when they're no when they have absolutely no experience with HTML and CSS, is there a way to, to do that? And the only thing that I can wrap my head around is just no matter what, if they're doing it, even if it's a visual mock-up, they mm -hmm. still know file size. Yeah, totally. So, yeah, and that's, and that's even before you export it. You can see yeah. in the saved web dialogue how big the file is going to be. Yeah. It's pretty great. All right. So um, I, my, I've, you know, I've had your book and, and I've read through it, and, but I really started things started to sync with me when i saw you speak at the generate conference cool and like really got me excited was when you started talking about photography mm. and that really got me to like rethink how could we approach photography as educators i mean so mm -hmm. for the for, for this is for the listeners i'm familiar with uh, laura's talk um, she presented strategies for taking photos that communicate the the necessary information but have less less pixel information so do you have any, you know, for example, by blurring out backgrounds mm -hmm. um, that don't really help? So do you have any ideas for a good student project that could, like, you know, take photographic performance into consideration? Yeah, when totally. When they initially take the photo or once yeah. they get into the editing? Yeah, totally. So, um so you are absolutely right in the introduction. I, I ran my own wedding photography business, and I also studied street documentary photography in Prague. And a lot of that work, as you know, has to do with taking a bunch of stuff that's in front of you and making it look good. And you have control over nothing. You control over none of the the uh, light sources or the way the people are moving or you know anything, and you just make it make it work. So um, if I'm thinking about this. Uh, scene that's in front of me. I'm thinking about composition. I'm thinking about uh, areas of contrast. I'm thinking about distracting elements. Um, if I'm a, a student who's thinking about these things, one one additional thing to think about is what parts of this image might be unimportant. What parts of this image might be areas of low contrast? And then additionally, if I were to show this image at different screen sizes, a desktop, a tablet, a mobile phone, can I use a tool like the new picture element or source set um, to crop the image differently. So it may be uh, based, you know, depending upon what parts of your image are important to communicate to the viewer, you can uh, use this new HTML specification called picture um, to uh, show different pieces of the image depending upon screen size, which may be really helpful, uh, you know, on smaller screens, on larger screens, et cetera. Have you worked with the picture? Not the picture element. I mean, this, I haven't taught my students formally the picture element or the book yeah, it's brand new but but i've sh i've just like shown them an off the cuff because that one makes perfect sense to me but the src set the site when you get that s that specific size string where yeah. where you have the the context the size in the context i don't get that it's <laughs> really hard it's really really hard do you to understand get. it because i've barely Okay. <laughs> so um, actually, we're, we're starting to play with this a bunch at Etsy. So okay. we have um, this new seller handbook uh, in which, so for those of you who aren't familiar, Etsy is a marketplace where people around the world can connect to buy and sell unique goods. So for people who are selling um, their wares, we want to provide them with a bunch of good you know, resources to, um, to best sell their items. And so in this new handbook, they want it to be accessible on a range of devices. And um, we obviously want to have illustrations and pictures that represent what we're talking about. So um, 
we want to show, we want to deliver the right image size at the right time. We don't want to deliver unnecessary overhead, right, to our users. So we're using source set to say, at this screen size, deliver this file size in, in width and height yeah. uh, of an image to our users. So that to me makes sense. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> that's not the, yeah, that's not the art direction use case. That's, that's a different use case. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for me, it's like, it has taken a really long time to wrap my head around it. And even in, in implementation, it takes me a lot of trial and error to get it to work the way I think it should. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the best I can come up with is that it, it does what media queries would do on the back end. And so for me, I look at it initially, I think it's redundant, but then I stop and realize, no, but at least it's, it's, it's coming from the HTML and it's just giving the browser, yeah, the browser a, a set of intentions. Right. Okay. So the, brow the, the beauty of this is that um, the browser gets to choose which one is going to be right. So instead of just giving it directions, saying at this screen yeah. size, download this one, et cetera, which can create a lot of complications if you don't write your media queries correctly, mm -hmm. you may end up d downloading one or two or more uh, yeah. images, in, although you're just delivering one to your user. Um, so you're right. Instead of doing it with CSS, uh, you're able to do it actually in your HTML um, using the image element with these fancy new uh, attributes or using the picture element depending upon the use case. Okay. That, that's great because I was just wrapped, like I said, it's just beating my head against the brick wall trying to figure out yeah. how I was going to explain that to people because I feel like starting, I do things per semester. So I feel like next semester, this has to be taught in my regular everyday stuff. Now I can't just keep kicking this can yeah. uh, down well, the road. <laughs> The resource that I'd recommend you check out is Jason Grigsby at yeah. Cloud4. He's written a ton of really, like, ugh, so much more accessible things than uh, the spec. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is a this is actually a kind of an aside and from design education and stuff. But this is my own curiosity as a designer, and um, I do coding and developing as well. So, a, a customer, I mean, so somebody who has an Etsy store, mm -hmm. you. You, there must be a heck of a lot of back-end programming that <laughs> helps the the end user optimize their images. Because I would assume a lot of people would, you know, they're not going to have, they're not going to understand, they're just going to upload the five megabyte thing they just pulled off their SD card. Yep. Or try to. So... Is that all done on the back end from you guys? It sure is. Yeah, yeah. So when we when we have a user upload an image, that goes into our image processing system. So we're able to export that image at a variety of sizes that we can use across the site. So like a thumbnail version, uh, a mobile version, uh, you know, a zoomed in version, um, and then use those appropriately across the site to make sure again we're not delivering unnecessary bytes. And then we're also running those images through additional compression, um, the kind that uh, we do a lot of experiments to make sure that the additional compression doesn't change the look of the image. You know, we want to make sure that uh, our, the photos still look amazing because we've run experiments um, and seen that if we compress things too heavily or, you know, for if we do anything that makes it look a little bit different, either sellers will notice and that's obviously a terrible user experience or our buyers will notice and that's an even worse user experience. Um, so it's very important to us when we're compressing these images and exporting them at different sizes that we retain uh, the look and feel of the image, the original image. Have you come up with some kind of algorithm yet that can take advantage of the art direction aspect of the picture element for the? Yeah, that's it. it there's actually been a lot of work done um, using math, uh, not at Etsy, but elsewhere um, 
to start to figure out which are the interesting parts of the image and the very necessary parts of the image to guess where it should be cropped. Say, say you upload up something in landscape and we need to have a square thumbnail. Um, we need to guess what parts to crop. So uh, there's a lot of stuff that's being worked on right now to figure out if we could do like initial guess of a crop and then have the seller go and edit it if necessary. Wow, that 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 stuff actually gets me really excited for totally yeah. For, for whatever reason, um, other, I'm sure a lot of people who are going to be listening to this are probably going to be sleeping at, after that one. <laughs> but, <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Yeah, no, it, they'll get over it. They need to know this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, so another thing that I wanted to ask you about, uh, and I got this I from one of your podcasts that you were you were on. You talked about the va- um, you really value a potential hire's problem solving skills. Yes, absolutely. So, to me, that like. Problem solving is kind of loaded, and so, <laughs> like, what does it really mean? And as an educator, I struggle personally with the balance of teaching students just like the actual skills versus how to self-identify problems and then learn the necessary skills on their own. And I struggle with which you know which is more important. But can right. you can you like really dive into like more about why what you meant by problem solving and how yeah. you identify that when you're interviewing somebody? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll talk a little bit about why it's important to me, and then I'll go into actually how I interview. Um, So the reason why it's important to me is the stuff that we're doing uh, on my team and at many of the teams at Etsy is really cutting edge. It's not stuff that has been done before. Um, We're experimenting to see what works and what doesn't for our user base. We're we're experimenting to see, um, again, does this quality of compression work or not? Uh, We're experimenting to see what works for our native apps, for example. Like That's a whole new field of work that doesn't have a lot of best practices yet established. Um, So because you know, nothing is nothing day to day is already known. Um, it's really important to me to hire a group of people who are going to be able to figure it out. You know, there's not going to be a textbook or a handbook that's going to tell you how to uh, instrument your native apps um, to make sure that all the spinners look the same, or you know, the you know whatever it is. Um, so. Right, so I look for problem-solving abilities. And that, to me, as a manager, helps me make sure I'm hiring people who are autonomous, who I don't need to babysit, um, people who are smarter than I am, <laughs> which is the most important thing to do as a manager. Um, so the current way that I suss this out is I, uh, when it's my turn to interview someone, um, I walk in and either they have a laptop or I've brought in a laptop. And you know we have our normal introductions and get comfortable. And then... Um, I say, okay, it's time. we're going to do this little exercise. Uh, here are some images, some uh, geometric images. I usually steal them from Geometry Daily, uh, which is a mm-hmm. Tumblr. Um, and they're complex in some way. So they've got transparency or they've got – there's just basic shapes, but they have different colors or they're rotated or there's something kind of unusual about them. And I'm like, you know, I don't expect you to know how to do this yet, but what I'm asking you to do is figure out how to represent these using just CSS. Don't use any images yourself. Um, construct, you know, HTML and CSS to make this uh, look the same in a web browser. Uh, I expect you to use Google. I expect this to not this to take more than the time allotted. So don't worry about finishing it. I just kind of want to see how you work. Um, and the person is like, "All right, let's do this." And like almost without fail, they'll open up Google or CSS tricks <laughs> and Google, you know, like how to make a triangle using CSS, uh, which is exactly what I want to see. I wanted. Okay. I want. Um, I want to see what happens when 
left to their own devices, they don't know how to do something, what are they going to reach, what tool are they going to reach for first? Are they going to go into their um, to their text editor and start creating an HTML hierarchy? Are they going to uh, immediately go in Google first and start to research that way? What happens when they get stuck? Do they get defensive? Do they ask me for help? Do they ask me questions? Um, are they making small talk with me while this is happening? Like, how comfortable are they living in the yeah. uncomfortable? Um, and there's no right or wrong. There's nothing about that where I'm like, oh, this is a red flag. It's everybody's going to be different. Um, but for me, I I want to make sure that somebody's going to not get shut down. Somebody's going to keep on digging. Um, and at the end of the at the end of the uh, exercise, I usually pause them and say, okay, that's awesome. Uh, I've got some more questions for you about how you did this. And then I'll ask them, you know, why did you do this first and the second? Um, what would you do next? If I were to ask you to remove half of these HTML elements, how would you approach that? You know, I kind of like to dig I in like and that. Yeah. yeah, see see what kind of additional problem solving they could do, um, given like a little bit of direction from me. Not not a lot. There's no micromanaging, hopefully, happening here. Um, but again, it's like looking for defensiveness, uh, looking for them to be excited about learning something new, um, and look, looking to be challenged a little bit. So. Uh, I hope that that helps illustrate a little more what I mean by problem solving. Yeah, I know no, it's no. definitely loaded. Yeah, no, it, and and I I I got that sense from when I was um, listening to the podcast. So you were talking about it on that level, but that not like the uh, you know like designers label themselves as problem solvers. Give me a problem and I will solve it. Mm -hmm, <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. Kind of ideology. Yeah. Um, and I I love that idea. I just I'm like now my, my the wheels are turning because I just love the I I'm thinking about oh that'd be a great project I just know where would it about giving them some HTML and some CSS and then have them optimizing it and saying yeah. okay this is a project here's here's something exist let's optimize it um, but I'm trying to think would that be a good in the beginning because then they wouldn't know how to optimize it but it, it's also nice because they they're you know they're not starting uh, starting from scratch so yeah. I don't know. I'm going to be thinking about that one for the next couple of days. But yeah, well, one of the other things you can do is given um, given a bunch of images of different file formats. Mm -hmm. uh, after you kind of explain how each of those file formats can be compressed, see how small they can get them. Yeah. No, that's 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 a good idea too. <laughs> see, it, it, we, often we're teaching in a vacuum, and, yeah. and it's just not. We never get to talk up to other people about what we're doing and. Mm -hmm. uh, you guys in the industry are such a wealth of resources. That's why I'm doing this podcast. Um, oh, I just a uh, train of thought lost it there. Oh, um, this is one of the I'm confused by this. And I see this behavior in my students mm -hmm. and I'm not quite sure where it's coming from. So for me, I learned before there was HTML and CSS, before there was Dreamweaver. Mm -hmm. So I just Googled stuff. And so right. when I there's a problem I can't I don't understand, I can't solve. I start Googling, mm -hmm. but I, it, maybe it's just me. Maybe it must be as my quality as an educator, but I see, I get tons of emails saying I couldn't get this to work. What should I do? Mm -hmm. And I'm constantly curious, like, why didn't you just Google that? Yeah. Um, do that's you a great, see that? Yes, absolutely. I, um, yeah, it's funny. <laughs> I don't see that at work. I see that on Twitter <laughs> a lot. Um, or again, emails being like, help me get this to work. And I'm like, no, <laughs> you know, like there's a whole wealth of information out there. Uh, Stack Overflow is a great resource. Often. Yeah. Twitter is a great resource, actually, um, for asking questions and getting them answered. But um, I don't know. In this industry, we have such a luxury of having everything be so open um, and having so many solid educators uh, out there giving presentations and stuff that 
to ask someone else to do the work for you, I think is an indicator that there's something else going on, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I mean, you know, I'm self-taught. I didn't go to, to school for this stuff. Um, everything was Googling. Everything was Stack Overflow. Everything was just trying to get it to work. And when it fails, um, then you just like look it up or you ask, you do ask questions, but I, I feel like uh, there's a there's a difference between being inquisitive and trying to figure out, trying to get help getting unstuck and asking someone to help you fix it or finish it. Does that, does that distinction make sense? Yeah, no. Yeah. There's, yeah. And I just don't know how to foster that. That's, that's the million dollar thing is how do you foster that inquisitiveness? Yeah. That, that, that desire to want to problem solve. So I am at work when, uh, sometimes we'll get new hires who are shy about asking. I mean, it's, it's intimidating, right? Like you're going to, it's going to be scary asking something for the first time. So they'll come to me directly and say, I don't know how to do this thing. And I'm like, cool, ask that in, in group chat. Go ahead, go dump that question in group chat and see who responds. Because um, we've got, you know, some great number of engineers and designers here who can help you. So maybe it's, it's that. It's like, hey, who else have you asked to help you with this? Who else of your peers have you asked to help you with this? And like really push it back on them to, to create that resource network for themselves. I'm going to tie this back into donuts. <laughs> I'm going to hand out donuts now when, when, when a student asks, you know, like, I don't know how to... I'm going to, whenever I, they say, Hey, I tried this on my own and I, I don't quite know how to go about it. I'm going to encourage that anytime I'm going to throw out <laughs> donuts to the class, anytime they, you know, they go on, go on a self-discovery moment or yeah. you know, kind of articulate that totally instead of being afraid to ask like right. how to go about doing something. I think it's intimidation. I think they're afraid to yeah. Google something. I think they're afraid that there's a right or a wrong way. Right. Um, internalizing that. Um, there's one thing that I forgot to ask earlier that I'm, I want to circle around back sure. to, and it has to do with this searching for stuff. Sure. I have searched. I haven't hit Twitter yet, so I think that's what my next one is after I ask you this. But is there a best practices in compression? Oh, again, so uh, not one size fits all, right? Yeah. Um, there's there's like, I don't know how many different, probably a dozen different compression yeah. uh, methods out there. So here's, here's my method. I will... Um, Export an image from Photoshop and whatever looks best. I'll, I'll have done uh, all the decreasing noise and all the blurring, like whatever I need to do, optimize the quality slider. And then I'll run everything through Image Optim. Yeah. So Image Optim has those, like, I think now it's nine different compression algorithms that will losslessly compress um, your images, meaning like it will look exactly the same, but it will have saved a bunch of bytes. Uh, and it'll do that for uh, pings, GIFs, and JPEGs. Okay. Yeah, that's the one thing I, I just I struggle with. I mean, I sh- I basically do that same thing, mm-hmm. like with images. Just it's kind of by eye. But yeah, that's exactly all it is. Yeah, it's it's you really have to like it's really trial and error, which is a yeah. bummer, right, for teaching because you wish you had like a little magic wand to be like, if you just do this one weird trick, everything will be great. And actually, it's it's much more trial and error than that. Yeah. No. And I I'm actually quite comfortable with it being trial and error as long as that is the best practice. Yes, that's, that is, it's like, that's programming, you know, yeah. like that, that's how this works. Yeah. Um, another thing that I've been really thinking a, a lot about lately is, you know, it's like, how can I relate things to like print design and, and web design? And, and one of them that I keep coming back to is how similar performance budgets are to print budgets. So both are constraints that like limit what you can spend in bandwidth or money um, to create designs. And so you try to maximize the visual impact to 
to meet the limits of the budget. Does this sound like a logical comparison to you? You know, I have never worked in print, so this yeah. is that's a new thing to me, but I love that there's that comparison. Yeah, well, I mean, this basically, you know, like a, a I, I like the punk posters, uh-huh, you know, totally. they, they, they had no budget. They're, they're, you know, right. they, they got paid in six packs. Yeah. So, so that's Zines. why, they, yeah. So that's why they, you know, put everything on copying machines. That's why they did the cut up typography and everything. Cause that was like the cheapest way they could produce thousands of flyers. Um, cause there was like no budget. Right. And so I'm just, I, I think that's a, a real natural, like transition for like print designers to start thinking about when they teach, you know, if they don't, they don't feel comfortable teaching HTML and CSS, but they are comfortable teaching like visual mockups, mm-hmm. you know, they can start taking, like thinking about it that way. Yeah, you know, that's cool. I think of natural parallels. Yeah. Um, so um, my last question is, and it, it's kind of big and I'm, I'm sure you can't really answer it all. But I just, from your perspective, most undergraduate design education programs, at least within, you know, university settings, get between um, 10 and 12 classes Mm -hmm. to prepare a student that are specific to design. Right. Um, You know, because the rest of them go to general education requirements, and those are pretty much set by the university, and and no one educator is going to change that balance. Right, right. (laughs) So... What would you, I mean, where would you put performance in the hierarchy of that? I mean, where would you, I mean, what would you like, what's the, what's yeah. the, what do you need most and what can you, you know, what can you teach on the fly at Etsy? Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, so it's funny. I feel like a lot of what I actually, 100% of what I learned about performance was on the job. Yeah. Um, I loved it for that reason. Like I was able to actual problem solve real tangible things that would help my benefit my company, you know? Um, for me, the image formats thing is a really important one that I think can and should be taught in a classroom. Um, what is this image format and why, what is it used for? I mean, it's, it's there's like a really easy matrix. <laughs> and like, what are the yeah. optimization levers that you can pull? Um, everything else I really think has to do with internships, side projects, after school projects, um, like all the application stuff that you, that you know, that's why real world is so great for those reasons. You get to actually start to dig in and, and solve real world problems and apply that knowledge. Okay. Well, um, Laura, um, I see I'm coming up on time here and I know you're a very busy person, but before I let you go, is there anything you are working on that you would like to share or something you want to promote? Yes, absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity. I would love to promote uh, my book called Designing for Performance. It is specifically geared towards designers because I think that designers should be wholly empowered to understand the impact that they have on performance. Uh, it covers things like image formats, CSS, HTML. It also covers things like weighing the balance of aesthetics and speed and changing culture of your organization. And the best part is all of the proceeds from the book go to charities that help women and girls get into coding. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. So that's all we have time for today on Episode 3 of Design EDU Today. I want to thank today's guest, Laura Callender Hogan, for being so generous with her time. Before I go... I also want to thank the audience for listening, and I want to thank the Design EDU Today hosting sponsor, DigitalOcean, and the CDN sponsor, Fastly, for making the hosting and distribution of these podcasts possible. I also want to thank the AIGA 
and the AIGA Design Educators community for their generous support of my research that led to this podcast series. If you like this podcast, consider leaving a review for it in the iTunes store and share it with your colleagues and friends. To discover more about the Design EDU Today podcast and read the session notes and transcripts, visit the show website at designedu.today. To keep up with new show releases and updates about the podcast, visit the Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash designedu today or subscribe to this podcast through the iTunes and Google Play Store. Finally, if you would like to suggest topics for future episodes or give feedback to help improve this show, contact me through the show's email address at hello at designedu.today. Once again, thank you for listening to Design EDU Today.